Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your host, Scott Connor at Charles Chill FFB on X. You can find everything Destination Devi at destinationdevi.com and the Patreon, patreon.com slash all gas. Join the Heisman tier, join the Trades in 5 tier if you want access to the extra Discord content. Check those out. Uh, Limited time being on some of the pricing. So again, if you want access to the DD crew for the rest of the season, feel free to jump in there. Check it out. A lot of new stuff has launched over the last week or so. So really excited about that. And I'm recording this right during the end of the Patriots-Dolphins game on Sunday Night Football. And I was sitting here earlier today thinking about What do I want to cover? I think it's a little bit too early to dive into some of the data. I know there's been a lot of discussion of data in the DD Discord over the last week. What signifies what, you know, what's something we can call predictive for the rest of the year? Are some of these trends reality? Are some of these trends just a one game sample size? Uh, And as that data builds up, we'll be able to go through some of the macro stuff that we typically like to talk about on here in terms of roster construction, how things maybe look a little bit different from a war perspective. Uh, and as we announced the other day on the AMA, uh, every Wednesday night, 10 o'clock PM Eastern in the discord, uh, Ray will be doing an AMA. And I did the first one with Ray on Wednesday. And we talked about the war game show that we're going to be putting out. It's going to be for discord only. And we're going to be talking essentially through roster construction and war. And we may release it on the podcast feed. So I'll have to discuss whether we're going to do that or not. But the idea is going to be kind of a, a quarterly, or one-third of the way through the season. I think we're going to do the first one through six weeks and go through the war, go through the trends, look at it week to week, but also look at it through six games, talk a little bit about roster construction, how did those line up with historic war at each position. And you can use the graphs, because if you're doing it week to week, anybody that's played with the tool, uh, if you've played with any sort of tool before that shows war or warp or whatever you call it, it is very much different when you look at the graphs from week to week. And it makes sense, right? Because the distribution of the war relative to the other positions or relative to each player at their position can greatly differ from one game to another. But then when you combine that and you get a larger sample size, call it a month, six weeks, a season, you start to see the trends become pretty much the same as what they've been in the past, there'll be some nuances, some changes. That's why I think it's cool to look back over like five years and compare that to, you know, what we're seeing through six weeks or eight weeks this year to see how it's trending. Is it different? Is it the same? Because largely we're forming our roster construction and kind of determining where to value players, uh, not only in trades, but in startups based on that war data. At least that's what I'm doing. That's what a lot of people in the DD community are doing. That's what a lot of people out there that are using these tools are doing. They're trying to figure out how to roster construct, then the secondary part of that is to go in and fit the players into that construction. It's not always going to be perfect. Uh, The next iteration, as I talked about a month ago, is going to be tools that incorporate the market as well. Because war matters for production, it matters for roster construction, but what it doesn't take into account is the market. 
And that's going to be the next iteration of being able to figure out, okay, here's the good roster construction that I want for this scoring format, but then here's how it lines up with the market, whatever the market is. And that's a whole nother discussion, whether that's keep trade cut, whether that's a trade calculator, whether it's something that you can find that is a way to come up with a pulse of your current league market. And I do think one of the future things that's going to really emerge here very shortly in Dynasty, uh, this is going off a tangent. This is not exactly what I wanted to talk about, but it's on my mind because we are seeing, and I've talked about this in the past, but we are seeing it already through two weeks. We are seeing the reactionary degree that Dynasty has played now is insane. Talk about essentially a redraft game that is masked as a Dynasty game. In terms of if you go to the market after a result, after a week, after X happens or after Y happens, and you're able to go to the market and actually make a move or actually come up with a trade offer or you receive a trade offer or you're trying to get a market pulse on a player or a situation, it is more reflective in that immediate value than it ever has been before. Now, there are certain players in certain situations where people say, okay, I'll give it another week. Maybe I'll give it a couple games. But largely, you are seeing a vast majority of the player pool outside of the stud players or outside of the players that are going to hold their value almost regardless of what happens. You are seeing that level of player. So call it the secondary market. Everybody outside the top 30, 40 or so, those are literally week-to-week values. And it's not so much what you can get. We had a really good discussion in the Heisman Discord this week about a player like DeAndre Swift, and he's going to be part of the topic that I talk about in the second part of the show tonight. Not Swift, but just some theory and some strategy in general. But a player like Swift. So I put out some polls this week, and it was essentially, would you trade DeAndre Swift for a random 2024 first in a Superflex Dynasty League? And then would you buy DeAndre Swift for a random second and a third in a Superflex Dynasty League. And it was very interesting. And the results of the poll were skewed towards basically the results said nobody would pay a first for Swift. At least a minority would. We're talking less than 30%. So call it 80-20, 75-25. I haven't looked back at the final results, but that's the way it was trending. Uh, and it had over 300 uh 300,000 impressions, and it had almost 3,000 votes. So I think it was a pretty decent sample size of where that poll was going to go. But then on the other side, would you sell for a second or a third? Or to some people, the way they would read it, would you buy for a second or a third? And the results basically said he's not worth a first, but he's worth more than a second and a third. And people that probably responded to both of those polls, if they have DeAndre Swift on their roster, they would sell for the first. And we'll talk about maybe why they would do that. The second thing is if they had DeAndre Swift on their roster, they wouldn't sell for the second and the third. But they may consider buying for the second and third on another team. So essentially, you've taken his value and you have circled it and you found the bracket. The bracket being he's not worth the first, but he's probably worth more than a second. Maybe if you tack on a third, you're getting closer to his real value. But people do not want to sell for a second and a third, especially after this past week. So the bracket is somewhere in between. So what does that look like? And I think this is the best way to view it. In your league, that's probably true. If you want to take the results of those polls, which said he's not worth a first, but he's worth more than a second, what does that look like? Your league is probably very similar. The person that has Swift, that's how they see the price. The person that doesn't have Swift, that's how they see the price. So what is the in-between? Is it two seconds? Is it a second and a player? Is it a cross-position trade where you're moving him for a wide receiver and one person in that deal has to give a pick? There's something in-between, and in every league, that's going to differ. But we've acknowledged that it's probably in-between in most leagues. So once you do this exercise, you realize, what does that in-between actually look like? if the two parties can't really come up with a deal. And what it comes down to is the new price isn't now what you could buy Swift for or what you could sell him for. It's that because the reactionary nature of Dynasty, right now you actually can get a deal done for him. Now you may have to accept a little less or you may have to pay a little bit more depending on what side you want to be on. 
but because he just had this big game, because he's on a good team that people can probably see a world where he has more games like this, there's probably a market where he will get moved at a higher rate this week just because he's in the news. He's on people's trade blocks. He's a player that some people may hear something about this week, and they will say to go buy and sell. He's in the news. And that is more powerful than I think we've ever given it credit for. And that comes down to the idea of the sway of the market on players, the opinions on players. And we're seeing that that's not just based on their prospect profile or based on their pedigree or whatever. It's also based on what happened last week. And literally the news and the immediate gratification of having to have a take on a player, having to move them up, having to move them down, having to have them worth a first or not worth a second, whatever it might be, that change is quicker than we've ever seen it. So really the edge is probably to go and say, okay, this is the week to make the move on Swift. The goalposts have shifted now. He's had that game. We've seen it happen. We have no clue what it looks like in the future. We have no clue if he goes back to getting 12 to 15 touches next week. We have no clue if he's going to get injured, but the goalposts have been moved. We've seen a game with almost nothing, and we've seen a game with massive workloads. We all know that probably the middle is somewhere in between that. That's where things are going to settle for the season. But because it's happened back-to-back weeks, we've seen the extremes. There's going to be moves this week for Swift. So that's where you have to say, okay, the market is already efficient. It is more efficient because it moves so quickly than it ever has been before. It's going to get to that equilibrium point very quickly after a good game and after a bad game. Now it's where I have to assess my conviction and say, do I want to pick a side on that? And then try. And part of it is now you may not be able to sell for the first. You may say, I want to sell for the first, but I can't. But there may be four or five people in your league that are willing to buy for a little less than a first. So maybe that's a second and another running back. Maybe that's two seconds. So you have to be able to say, okay, process-wise, I would sell and I would take two seconds. And you can tell yourself whatever story you want with those seconds, whether you can spend them later, you can add them to another deal to get a future deal done. But the edge that you're getting is there is a demand for him now. Whereas last week, maybe only one person would have bought him. But now maybe four people might be willing. And you can kind of use those four people against each other. But if you're playing a portfolio, you can also use the six leagues you have DeAndre Swift and the four people that are truly interested in buying him for somewhere in that median price that we already talked about. You can use those people against each other and see where the best deal within that range you can get. Now, you may not get a first. That may be off the table. From everybody interested across your leagues, you may not get a first. But the point is there's going to be demand. So I think one of the new edges is taking advantage of that demand because if he goes out, has 10 touches next week, only scores nine fantasy points right back to kind of the middling usage that people thought he might get, or if he gets injured and he's out a couple weeks, like right there, it's not that he's worth any less. In fact, he's probably not worth much different price than he was two weeks ago. And now the price has shifted to the point where the person that has him sees more value in what he could be for their team than they ever could on the market. And it's not because they couldn't sell for what they wanted. They probably couldn't sell for much more today, but there's just no demand. It isn't like I can go out and sell for the fair market price of my league. It's probably just, man, I'm not sick, sick of Swift being injured. I don't even want him. The only way I'm buying him is at 50% of what his value is or 50% of what his impact is. So I didn't mean to go down that road. It's a rabbit hole that I'm sure we could look at more. Um, I have a little bit of data I want to share a little bit later on DeAndre Swift. But before we get there, I I didn't want to talk specifically about this player on a podcast. But my mentions have blown up. Our Discord has gone absolutely crazy. And I can't really argue with the topic. It is the biggest story in Dynasty today. And it really is one of those that tests your process from, okay, if I ended up with this guy on a couple rosters, what do I do now that we've seen back-to-back games of just absolutely ridiculous usage? And everyone knows, I'm talking about Puka Nakua, Rams rookie wide receiver, who has taken the league by storm, uh, not just from a production standpoint, but from a usage standpoint. I mean, we're talking about a guy that has had 35 targets through two games. 
And the reason we have to take note, and we had a long discussion about Puka Nakua on the AMA the other night. Uh, I have been pretty open that, hey, he was a sell for me just based on process, process, process. And as I responded on Twitter to a couple people that re-tagged me or brought up the thread about what would you do with Puka Nakua from him last Sunday, and one of the comments was, this is looking worse and worse as the weeks go on. The reality is, if you listen to me, if you've ever followed any of my advice, if you followed me from the beginning of when I started making content, it was always, it is a portfolio process. And my response, quite frankly, is if you followed me for a long time, if you follow me from the Dynasty and Chill and Dynasty Command Center days, and even now on DD, a lot of my process is just based on data and probabilities. And so when you have the game like Puka Nakua had in week one, you start telling yourself a narrative about, okay, he's still part of a cohort or a subset that isn't favorable for him being much more than maybe a usable wide receiver, right? And so the question is, should I sell for a second or should I continue this for another week and see what happens? And I'm always going to err on the side of, I'm playing this probably with a couple shares of the guy and what are the range of outcomes and how does that fit in based on my roster construction? But more importantly, and this was the talk this week in the Discord is, what, what does the outcome for him look like on the market? And that was my argument for, hey, if I could sell for a second before today or before week two, I would have done it. And based on two things, one, just still the odds of where he's come from, but two, just based on the fact that I know where he came from and I know that he was not a massive name. He was a fifth round pick that wasn't a massive name that wasn't super popular that even if he goes out and continues and I pose the question of if he has a top 40 season which I think is very in the realm of possibilities after today. Top 40 overall wide receiver season. What will the narrative be on him in six months? What will it be on him in February, March, April, whatever that looks like? What will the narrative be then? And I assume that after he has this season, people will adjust a little bit on their priors and he will be comfortably trading for first round picks. But then what will be the narrative? And that's where I think I can reassess and go, you know what? I can probably buy back a little bit on the down low at a price where there's still going to be a decent number of folks in my leagues, in my new startups, in the dynasty community that are, man, I'm glad I didn't sell for a second, but I can now sell for a first. So let me do that. And at that point, that's when you can kind of reassess what his cohort looks like, because no longer is he a fifth round pick that got usage like a fifth round pick. You have to totally readjust that after you have a season worth of sample size data. It's one of the reasons why Shane has been such a big proponent of being against Jamison Williams. And I can't argue because if you just filter based on data, historically, he took a major hit by not being available last year for over half the year, then not producing when he was available and then missing the first six games of the season this year. Like the margins are just extremely slim. And you may say, oh, that's an outlier. That's going to be an outlier. He's different than all those others that you're filtering in the cohort. Maybe. But again, we're just playing probabilities. And when I'm playing on a large scale with a lot of teams making a lot of moves, I mean, we're talking 50 plus moves a week that I make across my dynasty teams. You kind of have to play this way. And you have to find the places where you go, you know what? I'm going to have a little more conviction. And that's maybe one of my weak points in dynasty is having conviction in certain spots. It has to be calculated conviction. And I'm going to come up with that term. I'm going to coin that term going forward. Calculated conviction. Because I think there's part of a blind spot right now in Dynasty with projecting the market. What I talked about in the first 10 minutes of the show, a lot of times data does not help you with that point. And we can look back and say data says this and pretty much everything we do in Dynasty these days is based on data. But what it can't do is predict the market. Because the market is basically completely opinion-based how do people feel about players? How do people feel about situations? And data is not going to tell you the full story on that. So having some calculated conviction on players or situations and just saying, you know what? I got a feeling. I got a feeling people are going to react this way. So let me go against the data here. And just understand when you're doing that, that you may be going against the odds, but that's okay. It's okay to have some of those conviction spots. Just acknowledge that that's what they are. That's all I would say. If you want to tell me Puka is the outlier, 
then fine. Just understand that it's probably conviction and that's the bet that you're making. What I don't want to hear is he was the outlier and see the overall general process is wrong. And I think we have to find that balance because you go through. So Puka was pick 177 in this year's draft, right? And if you take all the day three receivers, now you may sit here and tell me all these are not created the same. From a prospect standpoint, from a draft capital standpoint, they're similar, but they're not all exactly the same. From a situation standpoint, all these guys went to different teams. But you have Darius Davis, Charlie Jones, Tyler Scott, Justin Shorter, Dontavian Wicks. Then you have Puka. Then you have Parker Washington, Kayshawn Boutte, Trey Palmer, A.T. Perry, Xavier Hutchinson, Andre Chauvis, Demario Douglas. Those are all the receivers that went between the fourth and the sixth round. And I didn't say Elijah Higgins because he converted to tight end. But even if you omit that, that is 12 receivers that went in that range. Again, Darius Davis, Charlie Jones, Tyler Scott, Justin Shorter, Dontavian Wicks, Puka Nakua, Parker Washington, Kayshawn Boutte, Trey Palmer, A.T. Perry, Xavier Hutchinson, and Andrea Chauvis. So that is one out of 12. If you're just playing the odds, you can see why someone would say, okay, maybe I'll sell for that second. Given that almost all of these players, and none of them were going in even the first three rounds of rookie drafts, maybe a random Kayshawn Boutte, or maybe a random Tyler Scott, or maybe a random Puka, but largely these were fourth round picks, if not waiver pickups. So right there, you're just playing the process. It's the reason why when you go through that data, you say, I don't really want to draft receivers in this range. Because if you're playing in a big portfolio, what am I probably going to do? I'm going to go, well, okay, of those 12, maybe I only actually like five or six of them. And that's where I'll trust data people like JB and Ray and a lot of other people that do that work for me. And they will say, hey, these are the guys I probably don't really like from like a way that I can say they could earn targets in the NFL. So, okay, I can filter out of those 12. I can maybe say there's a list of four to six that I would be interested in but I'm still filtering out the fact that they were day three wide receivers. So then of those six, maybe I'll go, okay, based on the price, maybe I'm out on Kayshawn Boutte because he costs too much relative to what the data says the hit rates on those players are. So maybe I don't draft a lot of Boutte. Maybe I end up with only one out of 50. And then maybe the other five, I go, you know what? I can still make picking a couple of them up off waivers, maybe one or two in the fourth round. And that's essentially what I did. I ended up with three Puka Nakua shares out of 53 leagues or 52 leagues. So three out of 52. So not crazy, but you're talking what, 5%? So I have three. I don't go to zero on those players. If I like a player a little bit, if somebody's pumping them up or there's a reason that I think there could be a market, I still will draft the day three receivers simply based on what I exactly just said is there could be a market. And especially this year where a lot of the running backs kind of died off and it was either take backup quarterbacks or take players that you think could have future market value. So I did take a couple of Puka Nakua. However, you don't sit there and say, okay, every year I'm just going to take a bunch of all of these guys because I ended up taking a Trey Palmer. I took an A.T. Perry. I didn't take any Xavier Hutchinson. I didn't take any Parker Washington. Picked up a couple of those guys off waivers. I did draft a couple of Tyler Scott and a couple Charlie Jones. So right there, I got a little exposure to about half of those guys in that list. But still, you're not going to go, I'm just going to go hog wild in that range because maybe I hit on one out of six or seven or eight that I'm willing to actually draft in that range of players. So it's still not great process to draft him. However, we're now two games in, and I think it's fair to start moving the goalposts on a player like Puka Nakua from an expectation standpoint. So I think the way to do that, and I really know no other way, uh, I know we can probably ask JB uh, to come up with some cohorts that we can find, and I'm sure a lot of other people are going to do that as well. But I think what you can probably do is say, okay, how do we forecast a player like Puka Nakua? Because he's had 35 targets through two games, almost unheard of for any rookie, let alone a guy that comes from that sample size. So at what point do you pull him out of that cohort and say, okay, no longer is he a day three draft pick? The day three draft pick part matters from the standpoint of it's always going to be used against him in his profile. This is not the same as if Jonathan Mingo put up these numbers. If Jonathan Mingo had these numbers, you'd be going, wow, the Panthers knew what they were doing. He was a top 40 pick. Let's move him way up. 
top 24 receiver in dynasty, easy, if not higher, right? So if it was a player that had good capital and good pedigree and people had a really high opinion of prior to this, they'd be going crazy. He'd be unattainable. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. It was the same thing with Amon Ross St. Brown and Rashad Bateman. If you remember, those guys came out in the same class. Had they switched numbers and Rashad Bateman put up Amon Ross St. Brown's numbers in the second half of this first season, people would be going nuts. At least worth two first. Top five receiver in Dynasty. So you already have seen biases like this work to where depending on where a player started, you know where they're going to go based on where they started, no matter how they produce. And that's what you have going for you if you want to buy back in on Puka. It was what I was talking about a couple minutes ago. I know that even if he is great this year, there is going to be a slight advantage to be able to buy him back at the price that the market value will dictate versus if it was Quentin Johnston that put up these same numbers. And that's just bias. So I think the way you have to look at this is you have to go through, and I use Stathead football to do it, but just running a basic cohort filter. And just to make it simple, I'm going to filter this over the last 20 years, take wide receivers that have received at least 75 targets in their rookie year. Now, Puka's gotten 35 through two games. So barring he gets injured, and this does not filter for injuries or anything. It's just, did they get 75 targets? So there's going to be some players that are outliers that didn't get 75 targets because they didn't play enough or they were injured. But this is just going off raw targets. I'm sure you could filter this for a market share and a lot of other things and then say, okay, we have an even stronger cohort. But just taking day three receivers that have been drafted in the last two decades, so since 2003, so it's going to encompass the last 20 rookie classes, day three receivers that receive 75 targets in their rookie season. So round four to round seven, don't even care where they fall in that range. It could have been early round four or round seven, doesn't matter. Day three wide receivers and just filtering for players with 75 or more targets in their rookie year. Now, it's only happened 16 times. So right there, right there, you've now taken the typical sample size that I talked about just a couple minutes ago. Remember, 12 receivers went in this range in 2023 alone. Let's just say if you take 20 years worth of data, you're looking at over 200 receivers. And I'm sure it's close to that, if not more. I didn't look up the total number, but let's say you're talking over 200 receivers that have been drafted in this range, in this sample size. You only have 16 of them that have earned 75 or more targets in their rookie year. Now, so you're sitting here saying out of 200 plus receivers, it's probably a bad bet to continue to draft those guys, right? But when you then filter for the fact that, man, if they got 75 targets, it's usually promising for A, their future as being productive in some capacity, but B, the way that we play the reactionary dynasty game, that also means that more importantly, there's going to be a window. There's going to be a window, not just a week, but a window where I can probably cash out at much higher than what I invested. And that's the takeaway on Puka here is if he can get to that number and he's probably going to blow past that number if he stays healthy, but if he can get to that number, there's going to be a window and I'm going to go through the names and you can do this yourself. You can run through, do the exercise. You literally just filter by PPR points per game. And the filters used are since 2003 round four through seven of the NFL draft and production 
at least 75 targets in their rookie year and then sort by their PPR points per game production. So there's only 16, and I'm going to read through the names. So you have Marcus Colston, pretty good. Uh, you have Mike Williams, uh, the other other Mike Williams, Syracuse Mike Williams, if everybody remembers him uh, on Tampa Bay back in 2010. You have Tyreek Hill. Okay, that's good. You have Amon Ross St. Brown. Okay, another hit. So of the players, and if you wanted to bring this to an even another level, of the players that averaged 13 or more PPR points per game and hit that 75 targets, Marcus Colston, Tyreek Hill, and Amon Ross St. Brown. So if you just use those as the two filters, 75 targets and at least 13 PPR points per game, which right now Puka's on pace to, again, smash that, man, you're talking about a cohort that looks way different, right? You're looking at a cohort that's Marcus Colston, Tyreek Hill, and Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, Mike Williams is in there too, but literally three really awesome players in that cohort. So let's go a little bit further. Number five, Darius Slayton, 12 points per game. Stefan Diggs, 11 points per game. Austin Collie, probably not a terrible comp for Puka Nakua. Again, a guy that was ruined by injuries, but Austin Collie is on the list. Uh, Denarius Moore, that's a guy that faded out. Uh, but then you have some others. Darnell Mooney, Chris Givens, Johnny Knox, Jamison Crowder, another productive player, guy that had top 36 dynasty value for a couple years at wide receiver. Uh, Antonio Callaway, that's an interesting name that faded away due to other reasons. Ace Sanders, Lewis Murphy, and Tajay Sharp. And those last three are way down in terms of PPR production. So, you know, if you're just using a floor of something else, and you could even use yards per route run, you could use points per game, whatever you wanted to use. If you added another variable into this, you could probably sort uh, even more efficiently. But the point is, and I think this is how we have to react on Puka, is the cohort has changed. It is no longer he is being compared to day three receivers of this year's class or day three receivers in the past. You have to adjust a little quicker. And that does not mean to throw him into a group with players that have better pedigree, better profiles, more capital, whatever it might be. It doesn't mean you're comparing one-to-one, -one, but it means you can't use the same old narrative. Well, he's a day three pick. He's only doing this because Cooper Cup is out. Is it going to be interesting to see what happens when Cooper Cup comes back? Yes. But you can't sit here and tell me that targets are earned and players that earn market share or that produce are earning what they get. To an extent, the quarterback helps. But you can't use the narrative to your advantage here, but then fade it on a guy like Puka, which means you have to reformat the cohort that he's a part of. So for me, if I'm being honest, I'm still willing to sell, but I'm also kind of willing to bet on this new cohort to where, is he Tyreek Hill? Is he Amon Ross St. Brown? Is he Marcus Colston? That's on the high end of the outcomes, right? But the fact that that's even into the discussion at this point believes that I have to be a little more cognizant of just trading them away for the profit. If I had 10 shares, I'd be willing to go, you know what, I'll sell a couple. I can get a second or a third in a couple spots where it's not even really going to matter that much. I'll do the second and a third. But given that I only have three, I'm probably going to be a little more hesitant or a little more calculated in what I trade them for. Now, could that be risky? Is that going against the idea of just lock in the profit when you can get it? Yes, of course it is. But I'm also able to see what I think is coming and what I think the cohort may end up being and the grouping of players that he will be compared to, which will be driving a lot of the narrative on him in the offseason. So barring that he gets there, gets through the season healthy, knock on wood, there's nothing crazy that happens with the Rams, which that could still be the case where situation changes. If Stafford were to get hurt and cup comes back and the offense just looks totally different than it does right now. Okay. Maybe it doesn't work out, but we're past the point of, oh man, he's a fifth round pick. This can't continue. This is only happening because Cooper cup is out. You can't make that argument. If you're going to make the same type of argument for players that you actually liked or players that had pedigree. So I think that's where you have to adjust. Doesn't mean you go not sell him for a first, but I don't think it's crazy for you to say, you know what? I'm willing to wait this out a little longer now. 
Because not only did we see the outlier in week one, but he doubled down against a better defense and had an even better game in week two. And you can't ignore that. Because if you're someone that plays based on the data, you have to follow this trend and at least respect it as we start racking up the games. And even if he has a couple down games, only has seven targets next week and then six targets the next week, he still falls into a cohort of, man, he had almost 50 targets in his first four games. Like it's still, it's going to be so hard for it not to be favorable even on a season-long basis, just because of how far ahead of everybody else he has started. So that's how I'm treating him. It's going to be very interesting to see the market reactions to him this week. Um, He was up to wide receiver 34 on keep trade cut. I'm guessing that's probably going to jump into the top 20, 25, which is insane, but that's a reflection of the current dynasty market. And I expect there is going to be, this is where you're going to see the calculated conviction. I think this week on Puka, there are going to be people that are going to be paying prices that if I would have told you those prices last week, you would have been like, that's insane. And if I would have told some of the people that were paying it, that you'd be paying this after two games, they would have not believed it, but you're going to see people paying prices where you go, wow, I cannot wrap my head around. And it's just bias from us. We see a deal. Oh man, how could you give up Jamison Williams in two seconds for Puka Nakua? And yet you can tell yourself why someone would do that. You can see the narrative on why somebody would do that. Why would you trade Calvin Ridley for Puka Nakua in a second? Like there may be people that do that after Ridley had a down game this week and Christian Kirk came back. Like you may see that type of deal and you're going, that's crazy to me. There's no way. And you may see it. So you're going to see prices. You're going to see moves on both sides. There's going to be people that get trades this week for Puka, and they're going to go, wow, I never thought I'd get a first. I never thought I'd get this player in a second. And there it is. And then on the other side, you know what? I'm, I'm buying a freight train that might just be getting rolling. And if I'm right, and I hit that high end of the cohort, Tyreek Hill, Amon Ross St. Brown, Marcus Colston, talk about buying low. Talk about buying a player that's soon to be worth multiple firsts or to be producing as potentially a top 20 or better asset, like I bought low. I gave up Jerry Judy in a second. I gave up Calvin Ridley. Yeah, like I could see people saying that that's crazy price until it isn't. So just keep that in mind. This is going to be the reckoning week, I think, with Puka. We've never seen a player do this in their first two games in the NFL, let alone a guy coming from this place, a fifth-round pick. And now it makes it really challenging. If you're a database player like myself, how to react. And I think you have to reassess. I'm going to be reassessing. I bet you I buy some Puka this week and I may even sell a share. It really just depends. But now that he's in that mix of, man, I could sell one or two of the ones that I have, but then also go out there and explore to buy. That's where I really have fun playing a portfolio because I can literally keep my exposure similar. I can keep it under 10%, but I can make profit within acquiring and selling those shares that I'm actually able to play the market with this week. So it should be fun. Very, very interesting player. And I don't even want to make this about Puka. I want to make this a process that you can think through. And there's so many components to this. It's not just where he came from. It's not just his pedigree. It's not just his production through two games. It's not just how he's viewed from a prospect standpoint, how he's viewed from a market standpoint. What is the public opinion on the player? All those things together is why this is a fun analysis. It is why... You may not like the week-to-week reactions of the Dynasty game, but this is the part of it that's fun. It's how quickly everybody reacts and how sharp the data is out there to react quickly. Like the trade calculators will all be caught up on Puka within 24 hours. There is no edge. There really won't be an edge to say, oh man, I got ahead of that before all these trade calculators said it. Now they may take a little while to reflect the true market, But again, just the sentiment out there moves so quickly that that's the fun part about navigating Dynasty Leagues is picking sides within those fun ranges, within those market ranges that I talked about earlier with the DeAndre Swift example. Uh, That's when the conviction comes in, and that's really where the game becomes fun. It's a little tiring. It's a little stressful at times. Uh, You don't feel as good about your teams week to week because you have some teams where you're like, man, everything went right. You have some teams where it's like everything went wrong. But the reality is that is the day trading game of Dynasty and why it's more engaging and why it's growing faster than it ever has before. For the last topic I wanted to cover today, I know I went a little long on the beginning part with Swift and talking a little bit about that and then also the Puka situation. 
Uh, but I just want to go through some data that I uncovered this week that's very interesting. So after the Thursday night game, uh, and I'm going to use safe leagues for this because the one benefit of safe leagues is there are a ton of leagues that are formatted the same way. Uh, really, they are 12 teams, super flex, start 10. Really, the only crazy thing about the scoring is it's two PPR for tight ends. So you're going to see the tight end start rates a little bit higher than in standard leagues. But everything else is pretty straight. Pretty straightforward with PPR for wide receivers. The quarterback scoring is a little suppressed. But generally, you're going to see the start rates for tight ends a little higher and everything else pretty much the same as you would see in most PPR leagues. So it's very interesting this week to look at the start rates for three specific players. And it kind of goes back to what I talked about last week, but it also talks about going forward, what do you do with some of these players? So three players that had absolutely awesome weeks this week. So you had Zach Moss with the Colts, came back from injury. He was started in 31.7% of safe leagues. So 69% of people had him on their bench. Now, if you want to explain that, given that he hadn't seen him play at all and probably was a team that you weren't super excited to start the running back, then okay. But then you took two guys that one of them had a good game in week one, but was going into a tough matchup in week two. Kyron Williams with the Rams was started in 24.9% of leagues in these safe leagues. So only 24.9% of managers that had Kyron Williams, even with the Cam Akers news, they would be deactivated. And you got that news prior to even the one o'clock games. So it's not like you didn't have time to react. Kyron Williams, only 24.9% of managers started him. He scored 28 points. And that was after a good week one. So he had a good week one. Yeah, he only had 17 touches in week one or 17 opportunities in week one. He did score two touchdowns, which I know people, some people said that was a fluke. But the point was he was at least startable, but only 24.9% of people started him, even with the Cam Akers news. And they missed out on 28 points. DeAndre Swift, it was a little higher because it was a Thursday night game, which means people might have been making decisions. DeAndre Swift versus Austin Eckler, DeAndre Swift versus Aaron Jones. Okay, maybe they threw Swift in just because they weren't sure if those other two guys were going to play. But he was only started, which is staggering because it's the name DeAndre Swift. He was only started in 41.28% of leagues. So 59% of people with Swift on their roster missed out on the 27.1 points. Now, going back to the discussion that I had last week on the show, I'm not saying I get these right all the time, but what is the narrative on Kyron Williams and DeAndre Swift today after these games where they're both going to end up being top five running backs on the week? What is the narrative if you did not start them? If you had both of them or you had just one of them and you didn't start them, what are your thoughts? And it's a rhetorical question, but I do want to kind of get some feedback. I know this is going to be a big topic, but it's a topic that you continue to want to just hammer over and over and over. It is the most under-talked about idea of going zero RB or hero RB or any running back on a 53. It is the most undervalued part of it. And it was essentially is, man, what do I do with a guy like Swift? Maybe Kyron Williams is a little bit different, just given that Akers is probably out of the way at this point. But what do I do with these guys if I missed out on that production in my lineup? Because it really is a kick in the nuts if you didn't have them in the lineup. Because now you're sitting here going, man, okay, I know their market value has gone higher. I know they were players that especially Swift people have liked in the past. And people like Kyron Williams a little bit as well. But I also missed out on their production. So now they are up gosh, 20, 30% in market value. And it doesn't mean you can trade them for 30% more than what you could have traded them last week. I already had this discussion at the beginning of the show, but I bet you if you put these two players on the trade block, you will get interest. You put Zach Moss on the trade block, you will get interest. You put a couple other guys in this range on the trade block, you will get interest. You put a couple of other players in this range on the trade block, you won't get a lot of interest. May not be a lot of interest in somebody like Samaj P. Ryan or somebody like Dalvin Cook, Khalil Herbert. You, know, you may not have the same interest that you got a week ago when they had a little bit better games just because they struggled a little bit. So it's interesting that the price you're going to get, as I talked about in the beginning, may not be lower. 
But the way you're going to feel if you have Swift or Kyron Williams on your roster, you didn't start them, right? So that's the big thing. You missed a weak winning week. You missed a running back that you paid minimal for, especially in the Kyron Williams situation. You missed out on 28 points in your lineup. But now you're faced with this situation of, okay, there's a demand now. There may be a demand for Kyron Williams now. Is it more than what I could have gotten last week? Maybe a little bit. But the key is there's a demand now. I can play multiple managers that may trade for him, whereas they wouldn't have wanted to trade for this guy. And this becomes even more prominent as we get into the season. There's more injuries. Saquon Barkley got injured today. He's going to be out a while. David Montgomery got injured today. He's going to be out a while. Boom. That's two top 20 running backs that went out. So right there, you have two openings. And as bye weeks hit, as more injuries rack up, the demand for these week-to-week running back starts are going to be higher and higher and higher. It's tough when it happens at the beginning of the year because these start rates are going to be lower for these fringe running backs. And that's just because you go through this sit-start list, and this is why it's very interesting to look at this. So you look at running backs that were started in at least 80% of leagues. Jameer Gibbs, Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, Travis Etienne. Ring a bell? A bunch of guys that didn't really show up this week. Now, the problem is, what did everybody do? Jammed every one of those guys in their lineup. Man, we we gotta jam Joe Mixon in, just because he's gonna get volume. Gives you 13 points. It's respectable. For what you paid, he's essentially just in the way of better players. Josh Jacobs had to jam him in. He's gonna get a ton of touches. Well, not really. He only got 14 touches. Less than 10 points. Keep jamming him in. Travis Etienne. Pretty good game in week one. 23 touches. Got used in the receiving game. Boom. Gotta jam him in this week. Eh. Nope. Only six points. 14 opportunities for ETN. So the point is, unless you identify these running backs that are true difference makers, and we overestimate who's a difference maker, a lot of guys can be good. It's what I talked about a couple weeks ago with Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor can be very good. Difference maker? I don't think so. Just not. Historically, he does not look like a difference maker. I'm talking 20 plus points per game. Those are less than half a dozen. So really, unless you have those guys, the biggest detriment to having the guys below that, it feels good from a projection standpoint. From a week-to-week opportunity, are you rather betting on Josh Jacobs, Ramondre Stevenson, and Joe Mixon to outscore the likes of Raheem Mostert, DeAndre Swift, and Kyron Williams? Yes. But what is the cost difference between the two groups? And if you kind of look at the volatility from week to week of that quote unquote like dead zone of running backs that has value, really that value is just we are projecting their floor. We are projecting their guaranteed opportunity. But what they're also doing is in the games where they basically just give you the status quo, Joe Mixon's giving you double figure points both games this year. That's fine. You'll take it. What I don't want to do is say, well, I'll just take it based on what I paid. I probably paid a mid-second or higher for Joe Mixon, whereas get Zach Moss for free. And the point is Joe Mixon blocked you from starting Zach Moss. He blocked you from starting Kyron Williams because you had to just go with that projected volume. Are you always going to get it right? No. Are there going to be teams where you're starving? There's some teams I have that I am starving for a good running back. There are also teams where I have Kyron Williams on the bench because I go, ah, tough matchup. Let me start this guy with a higher projection. You know, more guaranteed touches. Let me throw Jamal Williams in there over him. Now, Jamal Williams could have an okay game. Odds he hits 28 points, I'd say extremely low. But the point is, Jamal Williams, for his guaranteed workload the first couple games of the season, is blocking Kyron Williams from being in my lineup. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And that's just a perpetual cycle. Now, this is a very, very fragile way to play because you're going to end up with a couple teams. If you guess wrong, you don't have enough options to go in and play. But when you guess right, think of the ROI on that right decision. Think about the ROI on literally trimming my running back room down to the lowest common denominator. Maybe I'm willing to bet on one anchor Whoever that anchor is, you pick the name. If you're comfortable saying anchor, fine. But then I have a rotating spot of a second running back and then maybe one random flex in a deeper league where I'm throwing a couple of these guys in. And they're not blocked by equity that I'm holding at my running back position with the names. And I'll just throw out some of the names. David Montgomery, Joe Mixon, Ramondre Stevenson, James Conner, Miles Sanders, Najee Harris, Damian Pierce, Javante Williams, like all of those guys are more valuable than the tier or two below them, but they're actually hurting you because you are starting them because of their projection. You are not liquidating the value that you could store in the form of draft picks or upgraded other positions. And you are blocking yourself from starting the players that not saying it's a coin flip, but it's probably 60, 40 that one of those guys I mentioned, Zach Moss, given I can probably project him for a pretty ugly 15 plus touches. Like what is the difference between him and Najee Harris? But there's just bias. There's bias milked in and you're blocking yourself when you have too many players in that range. And I have a bunch of teams and I I don't want to sit here on this mic and say, I'm perfect at doing this. I am not. I'm absolutely not. But if I look at this week and I look at how many leagues did I start DeAndre Swift in? So I had DeAndre Swift in nine lineups or nine teams I had DeAndre Swift on. I started him in eight out of nine. So there was one that I sat him. I actually sat him for Samaj AP run in a point per carry league. Oops. Like that was the one decision I made incorrectly. But okay, eight out of nine, I had him in my lineups. But he was only started 40% across these safe leagues, 41% to be exact. So right there, I'm, I'm measuring my personal success of these players versus the percentage that I had him in a lineup. So let's look at Kyron Williams just to kind of go through the exercise and double down. So I had Kyron Williams in a total of six leagues. I had him in the lineup and in dynasty, I have him nine teams. So right there, overall shares of Kyron Williams, nine in my lineup, six. So that's 66% that I started him compared to the start rate on safe leagues was 24.9%. So again, I'm looking at this. Now, there's some names in there that were low started that I jammed into a bunch of lineups as well. I jammed in a couple Dalvin Cooks. Oops, not a good decision. Jammed in a Roshan Johnson. Not a good decision. Jammed in an Antonio Gibson. Not a great decision. Jammed in a couple Joshua Kelly. 62%. That's the example of where this goes wrong. Now, it's interesting because why is Joshua Kelly at 62%? That makes no sense. I talked about Josh Kelly in the offseason. He's a terrible running back. Historically, one of the least efficient running backs. Yet, he's on the Chargers, which maybe people overrate the Chargers players a little bit. But because he's on the Chargers and the starter is really good, we're going to jam Josh Kelly in there at a 62% rate. Meanwhile, he's never shown anything better than Kyron Williams. He's never shown anything better than DeAndre Swift. He's never shown anything better than probably a dozen names that were started less than half as much as Josh Kelly. So I did sell six Josh Kellys this week for that exact reason. If he was not in my lineup or he was blocking me from making another decision, there was a league I started Josh Kelly over Zach Moss. And it was actually one where I make dynasty mistakes. I traded a 25 third for Zach Moss. Because I wasn't sure I had Aaron Jones in the lineup and I had Josh Kelly. I wasn't sure if I was going to be on the right side of either one of those situations. And this is a team that I have that's stacked and I'm literally playing it week by week at running back. So I had Josh Kelly on my roster. I traded for Zach Moss on Thursday 
for a third, a 25 third. And then I didn't start Zach Moss. I started Josh Kelly over him. So just bias. Why would I have bought Zach Moss and then started Josh Kelly? Why would I have not started Zach Moss this week? That makes no sense. And to double down, I actually traded a draft pick for him this week. If anything, I should have just gone one or the other. I should have sold Josh Kelly for the third, or maybe I could have gotten a third and a fourth or a third and some extra fab, whatever it was. It was a 25 third I sold for Moss. Maybe I got a 24 third and some fab for Kelly, which I was able to do in five other leagues. But no, I started him over Moss. Might cost me my matchup. So right there, the the fact is, if you have too many players, just based on circumstance, that's why you sell. That's why you sell to your other competitors. Like, I'm going to call him out a little bit. I'm in a league with Clay. He wouldn't sell Josh Kelly. He wanted a second. I go, no, that makes no sense. I'm not paying a second. For a bad running back, it's not even a good running back. Wanted a second. We didn't get a deal done. Guess what? Guess you didn't trade for Joshua Kelly and take another 4.8 points in my lineup. Now, I didn't have a better option, so that was one of the reasons I wanted to trade for him. But the point was, it would have been a bad bet to trade for another share of Josh Kelly when I already had so many of them that I had sold. It would only make sense because I needed somebody to fill that spot, and that was it. But the idea was if you have too many of these guys throughout the season and you find yourself in a week where, man, I have four or five of these options, you are actively sabotaging yourself if you're playing it week to week at running back, any running back on a 53, but you're having to make decisions in this gross range. That's how you get the 20% start rate, the 30% start rate, because people don't know. So if you can fix that by moving those guys for thirds or whatever it is during the season, fine. It's week to week. But really where you sabotage yourself is when you have running backs on your roster that are worth first, running backs on your roster that are worth well more than the third for Josh Kelly or the third for Zach Moss. I have no problem throwing away thirds week to week for spot starts. But when you're holding players that are worth more than that, but they're just blocking your spot starts that you've paid very little or that you could go pay two hours before the game, especially if you're in an active league, that's where you sabotage yourself. That's where I talk about holding too much equity at running back. It's a very fine balance. And it's a big picture strategy that there's going to be some gross weeks. There's going to be some gross weeks where you are throwing somebody in and just praying for double figures. But you're also going to miss out on the Zach Moss week, the Kyron Williams week, the DeAndre Swift week, because you had... Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery in the way. And I've used that example for two years and it applies today. So with that, that's the topic. More on this to come. I think this is kind of the new way to be able to hack this strategy is make the slimmest, slimmest of margins on your roster and still operate as efficiently and effectively on a week-to-week basis. And there's other components that come into it. I keep mentioning the league market. Listen, I'm in some leagues where I couldn't buy a spot spot running back because nobody was active, and that sucks. But there's other leagues where, you know what, if I would have asked, somebody would have probably sold me one of these guys for a third. So I implore everybody that is playing this way, encourage everybody in your league to play this way. It actually benefits everybody when there's this type of active market. And people understand that I'm not going to hold Zach Moss for a month. If I can get something for him and I'm not starting him this week, then it makes sense for me to do it, especially if that's how other people in the league market are going to behave. So with that, that ends the show. Uh, Some ranting topics, but just what was on my mind. That's what Destination Dynasty is going to be during the season. It's just going to be data deep dives, strategy deep dives. Uh, For an even deeper dive of what I'm doing in my portfolio for this upcoming week, Techtronic Transactions will release every Tuesday morning on DestinationDevy.com. It will be a premium article where literally you can get into my mind of what I am doing with my portfolio of teams. And sometimes it'll be player specific, but more often than not, it will be theme specific. Like here's what I'm trying to do big picture process wise with all my teams. Here's where I think maybe the edge is in the dynasty market right now. So check out that article. There's going to be a bunch of other content coming on the website daily written content, daily podcast content, YouTube content every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, including a double header on Wednesdays with Destination Chill in the evening and wake up in the morning. And then finally, check out the website, destinationdevy.com. And then till the end of September, patreon.com slash all gas, you can still jump into the tiers in there if you want to before September ends. Then everything will have to go through the website 
at that time. So hopefully everybody did well in week two. Looking forward to another grind week in week three. I'll be back on Tuesday with Dynasty Trades in five and then Wednesday with Destination Chill. And with that, I will go ahead and sign off. Be chill, everyone. There's a rumor going down about me.